It's Monday, December 4th, and you're tuned into the Cleveland Baseball Talk podcast. I'm Joe Noga, joined by Paul Hoynes. Hoynesy, happy first day of the winter meetings down there in Nashville. Uh, how's it going? What have you seen, and, and what's the uh, the scene like down there in Music City? Well, it's, uh, Joe, it's, you know, people are just starting to come into the into Nashville uh, yesterday, Sunday. Uh, today, the, I guess the meetings really kind of kick off in full uh, swing. Um, you know, lots of people in the lobbies, and there's tens and thousands of lobbies here, Joe. This, this, <laughs> this hotel, the the Gaylord Opryland uh, in Nashville, is a, a massive place, and it's decked out for Christmas. It's a winter wonderland in there. Well, uh, one of the, uh, the the guy who got the uh, the biggest gift of all uh, down there last night was was Jim Leland, former uh, manager of the Tigers and the Pirates and the Marlins, who uh, was elected to the Hall of Fame by the Error Committee. Uh, he was uh, ch- uh, he got 93 percent of the vote on the 16 member committee uh, and is elected as the first member of the uh, Hall of Fame class of 2024. Uh, certainly very deserving uh, Jim Leland, a legendary manager, and uh, he's the only uh, member of that ballot to, to get in this year, uh, a ballot that included some some pretty heavy hitters. Uh, Lou Pinella got 11 votes, but uh, just missed the 75% threshold. Uh, Bill White, 10 votes, and uh, the others on the ballot, Cito Gaston, Davey Johnson, uh, Ed Montague, Hank Peters, a former uh, Cleveland general manager, and uh, umpire Joe West, uh, they each received less than five votes. Uh, but Leland uh, Leland making the hall, I think everybody can get on board with, and everybody pretty much around baseball uh, agrees that, that this guy's a Hall of Famer. Yeah, definitely, uh, Joe. Uh, you know, Terry Francona swore by him, said he was the gold standard of managers. Uh, this is a guy, Joe, that never played above double uh, A as a player, Man, coached four years in the Tiger system, managed another 11 years in the Tiger system before he even get, what got to the, uh, to the big leagues as, uh, <clears throat> Tony LaRusse's third base coach with the White Sox. Then he goes on to, you know, to manage what the Pirates, the, the, the Marlins, the Rockies, and then the Tigers, um, 1,769 wins, three pennants, six first place votes, um, uh, you know he has he has the resume to get in there, and that that uh, one World Series championship, of yeah. course, uh, Cleveland Cleveland will remember that forever. Uh, as he was the manager of the Marlins in '97 when uh, they won Game Seven in Florida, and and beat Cleveland for the World Series championship. Uh, this is a this is a Perrysburg, Ohio native. I, I wonder if he ever wrestled because Perrysburg's famous for uh, for their wrestling program, but. Uh, he, uh, he was 78 years old, uh, a native of Perrysburg, Ohio, uh, and certainly coming back here to, to or, I'm sorry, uh, certainly going back to Detroit must have been uh, a lot of fun for him to, to close out his career uh, as the, the, the Tigers manager. But uh, yeah, it, this is a guy who, uh, you know, you look at some of the names that played for him, Barry Bonds, uh, Tim Wakefield, Andy Van Slyke, Bobby Bonilla. These are all guys who who really sort of, uh, you know, for the Pirates came up and 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 sort of made their their name in baseball under uh, Jim Leland. 
Yeah, he's had great players, and he let him play, Joe. That's that's what I kind of remember, you know, with uh, when he had Miggy Cabrera. I mean, I guess mm-hmm. you don't you don't have to manage Miggy Cabrera too much. Yeah, Miggy makes just, a lot of just managers let him go good. out there. <laughs> Miggy makes a lot of managers look good, I guess, in the, in the prime of his career, I would say. But but think about that, uh, Barry Bonds. He managed Barry Bonds at a time when Barry Bonds was, you know, sort of. You know, sort of like the Deion Sanders, you know, he, he it, I, there's video of the two of them, uh, you know, just cursing at each other at uh, in, in spring training and, and screaming at each other when they didn't see eye to eye on certain things. So uh, this was a guy who he was a, a sort of a no BS kind of guy. Yeah, he's a gruff old school manager. You know, he's sitting there uh, smoking, you know, smoking. Yeah, in the, ripping heaters in the in the dugout. Yeah, and, and in the in the pre and post game uh, press conferences, he'd be there in his long johns talking to the to the media, stretched out on his on his chair. Uh, you know, great storyteller, and he was blunt, Joe. He, mm-hmm. uh, he, if he didn't ask, if he didn't like a question, you knew about it. Well, in 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 the years following, in the years since he's retired from managing. <clears throat> You know, we'd see him uh, in the in the press dining room at, at Progressive Field. We'd see him on the road in in uh, in the press room in the, the press box on the uh, the media level there, uh, scouting for other teams and, and just being around the game. Uh, and and every time he would he would be holding court at a table and, and just have you know four or five six guys around him or people around him just telling stories and laughing and uh, you could tell that uh, people just sort of gravitated to him because. Uh, a lot like Tito, he he had been in the game for so long that he had a million stories and a million, you know, uh, anecdotes about people in the game, and it was just always fun to to, to learn more about uh, everybody around the game through him. Yeah, for sure. And uh, you know, he had uh, you know, he paid his dues. You know, managers don't. A lot of managers don't take that path as as uh, the the path that Leland and guys like Francona took. You know, through the minors. A big league coach, then a manager. Uh, you know, it's a different game now, but uh, Leland had the respect of everybody in the game, I think. And, uh, you know, the reporters that covered him mostly loved him. Uh, and his <laughs> players obviously played for him. You know, they, 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 I remember, you know, before game seven of the uh, World Series, the 1997 World Series, he brought Muhammad Ali into the locker room to talk to the Marlins to fire him wow. up. Wow, that's uh, that's knowing what what but uh, the right buttons to push at the right time for sure. Uh, and you know, back in in 2017, uh, sort of an honorific uh, you know title position or whatever, he he managed that uh, USA team to the 2017 World Baseball Classic Championship. So uh, another uh, just example of a uh, you know how much respect he had in the game as as they put together that uh, that team and they wanted him as the manager. Uh, certainly that was, uh, you know, something else that uh, you sort of, you sort of cap things off with, a, a a run like that. Yeah, no doubt about it. Guys wanted to play for him. You know, the stars wanted to play for him, you know, and it's hard to get your, your quality players, you know, to play for team USA and in, in at the, you know, during spring training in the world baseball classic at times, but, uh, there was no, uh, they were knocking on Jim Leland, Leland's door to play in that, in that, you know, in that series. Right. So, uh, Leland goes into the hall and, uh, now we, we sort of turn our focus to the, to the next era committee. And I believe, uh, that will be the modern players era, uh, committee uh, that will meet uh, this time next year to vote 
uh, and uh, a, a guy that Cleveland will be very interested in uh, in seeing if he's on the ballot will be Kenny Lofton. Again, Lofton only appeared as a player uh, for the the media vote uh, on one ballot. He didn't get the required five uh, percent of uh, votes to to stay on the ballot. So uh, his his only shot is through this committee and being uh, on the ballot, uh, which should be formulated sometime in the early season of, of 2024. Uh, we should get the names of the guys who were on that ballot. And we'll find out if uh, Kenny Lofton will be eligible and up for a vote in December of 2024 to see if he can make it to the Hall of Fame. Yeah, he certainly uh, deserves a longer look, Joe. I, you know, I think he's a Hall of Famer. I was one of the few guys that voted for him when he was on the BBWA ballot. Um, but I think he deserves a longer look. More His career deserves a you know, closer inspection. Um, definitely, you know, he's a stat cast, stat cast loves him. What I think he's got a 60% war, right? Or 60, 60 yeah. war, something like mm-hmm. that, or over 60. Um, you know, he, he could do everything. Uh, he hit for power, hit, he could run, he could steal. He played, you know, gold glove defense in center field. You know, he was the, uh, kind of, he was the leadoff hitter for those great Cleveland teams. And, uh, you know, I, I hope, I hope Kenny gets his due. Yeah, and you know, longevity also plays into it. It's one of the one of the factors that I know you use when you when you fill out your ballot is you know how long did a guy play? He played for a long time, and he played for a lot of teams, uh, and that broad appeal, uh, given another uh, chance to, to to sort of get looked at, uh, should uh, it, you know it might not factor in as much with the error committee, but I, I just don't understand uh, the uh, the writers at the time when he was first eligible why he didn't. Uh, uh, warrant uh, more serious consideration. Uh, so that will be, uh, you know, obviously uh, next year. And then uh, in 2026, uh, eligible for the 2027 Hall of Fame class will be the next time this particular committee meets uh, that considers uh, managers and umpires and executives and, and people who contribute outside of, uh, you know, playing on the field. Uh, and that's when Terry Francona uh, should be first time eligible by this uh, this era committee. Uh, and, you know, certainly Tito would would warrant a, a, a look and a consideration as a, a first first ballot Hall of Famer uh, in that regard. Uh, so we'll look forward to that in December of 2026 when this committee meets. Uh, all right, Hoinsey, uh, again, the, the best way to uh, stay on top of all the action that's going to be taking place today, uh, tomorrow and through Wednesday there at the winter meetings. Uh, in Nashville is uh, to join Subtext, our subscription texting service. It's $3.99 a month, and uh, listeners can log on to cleveland.com slash subtext or send a text message to 216-208-4346 for all the breaking news and the insight onto what moves are being uh, considered by the Guardians and what's uh, out, of the, out of the picture and what's in the picture and uh, what, what's going to happen here uh, over the next couple of days in Nashville as we get ready for the 2024 season? Uh, one team that's or two teams that are already in, uh, you know, buy and sell mode. Uh, the Braves and the Mariners made a deal last night. Uh, Jared Kelnick and Marco Gonzalez, uh, the, the headliners from uh, Seattle heading to Atlanta. Uh, Jackson Coar, who uh, is only with the uh, Atlanta for a short time uh, after playing with the Royals for most of his career. Uh, he's now heading to Seattle. 
this uh, this seemed like this was a move to set up other moves for for at least the Mariners. Don't don't you think, Hoinsey? Yeah, Joe. If they you know kind of open a spot in the, in the outfield, are they in the, in the Juan Soto deal? You know, the Juan Soto bidding with San Diego. <clears throat> you know, Jerry Depoto. I mean, he he must get. When the, when the offseason rolls around, he, he can't help himself. This guy <laughs> makes trade after trade after trade. He never stops. Yeah, Jerry Depoto one day is going to, uh, you know, go home and realize he traded his mother-in-law and didn't even realize <laughs> it. Uh, you know, it, it, something like that it would not surprise me one bit. Uh, there uh, there has been some Guardians news since, uh, since we last talked. A uh, couple of moves, a couple of. Um, interesting, uh, you know, sort of uh, moves, I guess, Friday. Uh, the Guardians thought they could sneak one past everybody, and uh, they put Oscar Gonzalez on waivers, uh, and uh, Gonzalez, uh, SpongeBob, got snapped up by the uh, the Yankees. Yeah, the, uh, kind of a surprise. Uh, you know, now they Cleveland goes into the, uh, weeding, the meetings at 39 with their open roster spot, but, you know, Gonzalez – you know, Joe, what a what a curious career this guy has had, and how and uh, and I guess we could say the same thing about uh, Cleveland's treatment of him. Uh, 2022, he comes up, he solidifies the right field spot. Uh, you know, drives in big runs after big runs, has a great postseason run, wins game two of the the wild card series, drives in, uh, you know, has a game winning hit in game three of the ALDS against um, against the Yankees. And, and then the next spring, the following spring, he loses his job to Will Brennan. And I'm still that still kind of knocks me out. I still don't understand that move. And I don't think uh, Gonzalez did either. I don't think he ever recovered from that. Yeah, uh, this was a guy who who has the potential uh, to to hit 30 home runs in a season, but uh, he also has the potential to strike out 130 plus times in a season uh, because his chase rate is so high, and he's he's not the the, the kind of disciplined hitter that uh, this this offense uh, has really sort of you know been searching for over the last couple of seasons. Uh, he was able to lock it in during his rookie year and swing at fewer bad pitches, but just there, there was still that tendency and that propensity to uh, swing and miss at pitches out of the zone and, and really not help yourself. And I think no matter how much they preached it to him, uh, it, it, the, the message never got through. And uh, that's, you know, why he lost his, his starting job out there. They were living with his defense. They were living with his limited range. Yeah. Uh, his, his arm was nice and strong. You know, he could throw guys out uh, all over the field, uh, but his uh, his range was limited. I think the uh, the change in the rules uh, limiting the uh, the the second baseman having to be on the dirt and not being able to to drop back into short right field hurt him uh, defensively. Uh, but again, they would have lived with that had he not been swinging and missing at you know better than you know twenty five percent to to thirty percent of uh, you know his his at bats uh, and, and pitches out of the zone. So. Uh, I, yeah, I, I can see why they, you know, tried to sneak him through, um, uh, waivers and, and I, I don't know why the Yankees took him because they got a pretty darn good right fielder in, in, uh, in, uh, Aaron judge out there right now, but maybe for depth, maybe for spite, who knows that's, that's, you know, this is a guy who beat you in, in two playoff games. So, uh, but, but wasn't able to win a series for him. Uh, I don't know. I, I can understand the move, but again, 
Gonzalez is what you're missing. He's what you need. Can't you develop him? Can't you work on him? Can't you get him to where you need him to be? Uh, he's a power hitting right-handed bat that plays a corner outfield spot. It's exactly what the Guardians need. Why can't they just polish him off and, and finish him off and, and get him into a uh, position where they get him in, in uh, able to play uh, a, an everyday spot out there? Yeah, Joe. And uh, I don't think they ever really believed in uh, Gonzalez. You know, this is a the guy they left off the uh, the 40 man two times in for the rule five and previous rule five drafts. Now, nobody took him, you know, mm-hmm. so that, that gives you an idea what the rest of baseball thought of him. But, uh, you know, now and now they try now they wave him. You know, they they you know, he what he got about 170, 180 at bats last season in the big leagues, spent most of the year at triple A, um, you know, I, I I just don't, they weren't sold on him and you know it's curious Joe when you look at the uh, the hitters that have they've they've gone through in the last two or three years here you know with uh, Nolan Jones and uh, Will Benson and now uh, you know Oscar Gonzalez you know all kind of similar hitters not you know obviously two lefties one righty but big big swings big power and a lot of strikeouts you know they say they. Uh, they say they aren't, uh, you know, a, a, a contact-oriented team, a contact-oriented offense that, you know, they want to score runs no, regardless of, uh, you know, what kind of hitters they have. But it certainly looks like uh, they, they want a contact-first uh, offense and, you know, at, at the, uh, you know, kind of at the risk of losing power. You know, I, I, I can't, you can't draw any other conclusion. At least I can't. Yeah, well, I mean, I would argue that Nolan Jones is he's at least a, a high OPS guy. You know, his last year, his OP, he was a 931 OPS in 367 at bats for, uh, you know, Colorado. Now, granted, that's Colorado, but he also has uh, a little bit of discipline. I, I just think he had a, a, a 138 OPS plus last year. Nolan Jones did. So, you know, they, they just they that was that was another bad trade, I think, that that they made in, in terms of. This was a guy who could could be out there as your starting right fielder right now and giving you, you know, 20 plus home runs in a season if you give him a, a chance to be out there. Uh, you're right. He's Nolan Jones and Oscar Gonzalez are not the same hitter, but uh, I, I see the pattern, I guess, is is what's more disturbing than anything else is, is that uh, that inability to just sort of put a guy in a spot and, and let him go and, and, and see if, if over the course of a season, you know, he, the, the lights go on and, and he, he gets it and, and, and it doesn't hurt you that much. Uh, if, if he's, if he does strike out a few times, uh, uh, for, uh, for a lot of reasons, I think they're going to be regretting the Nolan Jones try, uh, trade for a long time. Uh, but, but you're right. I don't think they, they really ever did, uh, fully commit to or fully, uh, embrace uh, Oscar Gonzalez in in that position in right field. Now Oscar Gonzalez brought uh, you know a lot of fun the the walk up music, uh, the SpongeBob theme, the the kids dressed in SpongeBob costumes in the in the crowd and and everybody getting into it. That that part, hey, that's great. I wonder how that's gonna I wonder how that's gonna fly in New York the first time he uh, he steps to the plate let's say he gets <laughs> called up in june because somebody gets hurt because inevitably Stanton and Judge will be on the injured list and and Gonzalez will get called up in june or something like that uh the first time they play SpongeBob's theme 
at uh, Yankee Stadium. How do you think the bleacher creatures are going to react to that? <laughs> yeah, I don't think I don't think that's going to go over real big. But who knows with the bleacher creatures? And you know, all bets are off, man. Those yeah. guys are they're they're crazy out there. Well, I, I mean, it'll it'll take some digging on uh, on social media, but I'm sure that back to the 2022 postseason, uh, that the Yankees fans all probably uh, tweeted and posted about uh, how how silly it is that they've got a that the, that Cleveland had a, an outfielder who, who walked up to the the SpongeBob theme, or how much how many uh, of these old takes on uh, on Oscar's uh, SpongeBob uh, walk up music can get exposed. Uh, if we if we do a little digging and bring them back just to say, hey, you you hated the guy when uh, when he was in Cleveland, but now you love him and now you're embracing that uh, same thing with those Corey Kluber takes that, that uh, you know, didn't hold up too well over time when he went to uh, when he went to the Yankees for a season. So uh, should be uh, very interesting there for sure. Uh, a little bit of uh, um, uh, news in terms of the the spring training roster. Uh, we found out that Jaime Barea, the, uh, the right-hander from uh, the Angels, I think we talked about this on our last podcast, but he'll be invited to spring training, uh, Major League Camp, uh, as a, a non-roster invitee. Uh, anybody else that uh, you're aware of that, that could be joining him uh, as a, a non-roster invitee at, uh, at uh, I almost said Winter Haven, good Lord, uh, in Goodyear uh, when uh, things get rolling in February? Yeah, Joe, I'm, you know, I'm pretty, you know, from what I've heard, from what the people I've talked to, uh, you know, Kyle Manzardo, who, you know, kind of set the uh, Arizona Fall League on fire uh, with his power this, you know, the, a couple of, you know, just recently uh, is going to be caught, is going to be get a spring training invite. Uh, you know, it's going to be interesting to see how they use him, you know, see what he does <clears throat> and see what they do with him, Joe. I mean, they're kind of in a situation where, uh, you know, I think, of, you know, usually, you know, We've seen this time and time again, no matter how good a, a or how you know well a, a prospect performs in spring training, he usually starts the season at, at Columbus, at least with when Tito was here. Now, uh, if, if Manzaro comes up and has a good spring and, uh, you know, and what, what does, does the uh, option change? You know, I think they've got a decision to make because, you know, and this guy, yes, he he's he's shown power, you know, at the stops he's made in the minors. Um, and they desperately need power. They desperately need production. Um, would, would they start the season with him or, you know, he did miss time uh, last season with the shoulder injury. Would he start the year at AAA and then come up sometime during the 2024 season? Because one way or the other, Joe, if he stays healthy, if all things go according to plan, we'll see him sometime in 2024. Yeah, that's the one thing that we know for sure is that we will see him uh, in the big leagues in 2024 as long as he's healthy. Uh, but there are other factors here at, at, at play in terms of the opening day roster as well. Uh, if Manzardo and and all all indications are that he will appear in uh, a couple of those uh, top 100 uh, prospects lists, if he's uh, considered a top prospect by uh, these uh, these other services and and these other rankings uh, throughout the league. Uh, then the Guardians would be incentivized to have him on the roster for uh, the full 172 days uh, of the season if they can, uh, because if he uh, you know finishes highly, uh, has a successful uh, season, and and maybe gets consideration on the Rookie of the Year ballot or something like that, 
they could be eligible for a, a rather high uh, draft pick uh, per the terms of the uh, the, uh, the the collective bargaining agreement. So, uh, I mean, you saw it happen with uh, Julio Rodriguez when he won uh, Rookie of the Year for the Mariners. They got a draft pick out of it because he spent the whole season on the roster. Now, uh, Kyle Manzardo has a long way to go uh, to be uh, Julio Rodriguez. But, uh, you know, in the ideal world for the Guardians, I, I think if uh, if he could stick it out on the roster for the entire season, uh, it, it might be a, an opportunity there. Yeah, no doubt about it, Joe. And, you know, I think, you know, if we see Manzardo, you know, I, this is maybe I'm, I'm overthinking this and being a little on the negative side. If, if we see Manzardo make this club out of spring training, does that mean that they're willing to uh, let a young player, you know, be in the lineup every day and struggle and perhaps, you know, let that development over, over, you know, oversee, uh, you know, the, the ability of the club to win day in and day out. You know what I'm saying? Does that mean if, if Manzardo makes the club, uh, are they, uh, are they in a rebuild or are they still trying to win? Yeah. And, you know, they might still be able to win in, in spite of all that. Uh, again, they're they're playing in a division where that's definitely a possibility. But uh, you, you're right. That's it. we're sort of on high alert right now as as guys who follow the team for any sort of hints in a shift in philosophy like that, like you like you sort of alluded to there. Uh, so so we'll have to keep our eyes open uh, moving forward. And uh, and, and if this all starts here down in uh, in Nashville this week, well, uh, while you're there, uh, sort of ducking in and out of the lobbies and 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 following behind uh, Chris Antonetti and and sort of uh, picking up on any breadcrumbs he's dropping there, uh, we'll be following along as well. What's your first move uh, uh, down there as these meetings kick off? Where uh, where are you going? What's uh, what's your your agenda like uh, over the next couple of days? Yeah, I got to stake out a place in the uh, press room, Joe. That's that is, uh, you know, it all starts there. You got to you got to get a tape, you got to get a chair, you got to get plugged in, you got to get your laptop up and rolling, and the Wi-Fi good, or, or you know, you're. <laughs> so wait a minute. That, that's my first move. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. Wait, you you've been doing this for almost forty years. You're telling me that they don't have a gold seat w- uh, waiting for you with your name <laughs> on it down there? I, it, tell me you've got to walk into that press room and box out Bob Nightingale and uh, uh, the other national guy. You tell me you got to throw a couple elbows because those guys they have to realize that that you're a Marquette uh, rugby player and they don't mess with you. I, I mean that's that, that that's first and foremost. You're telling me that they don't have a seat reserved with your name on it after 40 years that's that's garbage i'm telling you what I, i'm just another worker b joe <laughs> <laughs> not at all Lindsay. all right uh we'll get back in touch with you again tomorrow uh hopefully we'll have uh news on juan soto on shohei otani the big names in the uh you know that are, are, are all down there at uh, the winter meetings and and what Uh, Those moves will mean for Cleveland moving forward throughout the rest of these meetings, uh, culminating with the Rule 5 draft on Wednesday. Hoinsey, we will talk to you tomorrow. Good deal, Joe.